Our message this morning is going to be focused on the text Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, really focusing on verse 3. Matthew 5, uh, 1 through 3, and we're looking at the Beatitudes, these eight declarations that Jesus makes at the very beginning of the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And each of the Beatitudes begins with blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful, and so on. So last week we got some background on what the Bible's concept is of what it means to be blessed. And we got that from Psalm 1. And it starts, blessed is the man who, who knows that blessing only comes from God, who understands the disposition of God toward him. Blessed is the man who orients his life around God rather than around the world and the things of the world. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of scoffers, nor sits in the seat of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He orients his life around God and his word rather than the world and the things of the world. And blessed is the man who anticipates eternity with God and is not solely focused on this life. The problem is that if we honestly evaluate ourselves by this psalm, can we really consider ourselves blessed? Is the orientation of our lives around God and his word? Do we delight in his word and meditate on it day and night? Do we find ourselves listening not to the counsel of the world and operating according to its definition of blessed? If we're truthful with ourselves, I think we have to acknowledge that we miss the mark, that we fall short, that we don't measure up to what the psalm calls blessed and righteous. And if the orientation of our lives isn't there, well, that brings up questions about God's disposition toward us and our anticipation of eternity, doesn't it? Psalm 1, 4 through 6 says that those who aren't righteous... That those who don't meet this standard of blessed are like chaff that the wind blows away. They will not stand in the judgment. They will perish. And Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 presents us with a similar framework. Theologian John Stott says this about the Sermon on the Mount, that it's, it's the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered. For it is his own description of what he wants his followers to be and to do. But in this message, this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaches the law of the Lord in such a way that only one who delights in it and meditates day and night could. Jesus meditates on the word of the Lord day and night. His delight is in the Lord and in his word. And so he says things like this. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone would force you to go with him one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. You, therefore, Jesus says, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's just chapter 5. There are two more chapters of this. And when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I've got to tap out. Even by the Old Testament definition, I don't qualify as blessed. I'm nowhere close to righteous. And yet by Jesus' definition and demand, be perfect like God is perfect, I'm toast. I'm hopeless. I've got nothing. And that's exactly the point of the first beatitude. So look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word and ask for his help. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, for these words that you spoke so long ago and again have spoken to us in this time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take these words and by them show us the way of the kingdom, that the way up is the way down, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess everything. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Or let us find in your light. Let us find your light in our darkness. Your life in our death. 
Your joy in our sorrow, your grace in our sin, your riches in our poverty, all to the glory of the Father, we pray in the name of the Son, by the power of the Spirit, amen. The Beatitudes are radically counterintuitive. Jesus takes the world's definition of blessed and turns it completely upside down. The world says, blessed are those who believe in themselves. Blessed are those who have high self-esteem. Blessed are those who are self-made, self-sufficient, self-reliant individuals who know that they have what it takes and pursue happiness by self-expression and accumulating for themselves. Blessed are those who believe in themselves and make it happen. And that is an easy thing for us to believe in general. But it's also something that we are prone to, to subconsciously add to what God teaches us about himself in his word. Part of what Jesus is exposing with this beatitude is the idea that relationship with God can be earned by good external behavior, which will lead to external privilege, external peace, external prosperity. Believe in yourself and make it happen. Then you'll be blessed. And that was the kind of message and expectation the religious leaders among God's people were pushing in the first century and in every century leading up to ours, the 21st century, we still have this both in religious and secular expressions. And Jesus instead gives us this radically counterintuitive declaration. Not blessed are those who believe in themselves and make it happen, but blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that in the Beatitudes, our Lord starts and ends with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because it is his way of saying to his followers, you belong to a different kingdom. You are in this world but you are not of this world. John Stott says, insofar as the church, as Christians are conformed to the world, and the two communities appear to the onlooker to be merely two different versions of the same thing, the church is contradicting its true identity. Living under the blessing of God means living under his glorious kingdom, his rule and reign. And we qualify for and inherit that kingdom when we are poor in spirit, when we are emptied of ourselves that we might be filled with Christ and his benefits. Being poor in spirit is being emptied of self so that we might be filled by and with Christ. Being poor in spirit is being emptied of self, so that we might be filled with Christ. And how do we do that? Well, I want to be clear right here at the beginning that this is a specific emptying and not a total emptying. 
You are not a worthless worm. You are a glorious human being made in the very image of your creator, God. He lovingly made you. He delights in you. He loves you. You have incredible dignity and worth and honor. In no way are we here diminishing the incalculable value that you have as yourself. Because God is the one who made you and declares that value. But because of sin, we are not fully the selves that we were created to be, mainly because we are so full of ourselves. And poverty of spirit is the way to true blessing. And poverty of spirit requires at least three things. The first is this. We must renounce self-reliance so that we can receive Christ-reliance. We must renounce self-reliance so that we might receive Christ-reliance. As a parent, we want our kids to grow into healthy independence. So we want them to, to little by little learn to do things for themselves. The enemy of that, however, is our children. And that at a, an age too young to be doing things for themselves, they want to do everything for themselves. And the constant refrain is, I can do it myself. Now, we never grow to independence when it comes to our relationship with God. We always need him completely. And yet, our attitude toward God is often one of defiant self-reliance. I can do it myself. And this is the opposite of being poor in spirit. But the really scary part is that God will allow us to think we did it ourselves by allowing us to have what we think we want rather than true blessing. God will allow us to have what we think we want rather than giving us true blessing when we are self-reliant. Jesus tells this story in Luke 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with, with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. The contrast here between rich and poor materially is meant to communicate a spiritual reality. The rich man is self-reliant, he has everything he thinks he needs. He has everything he thinks he wants in terms of worldly comfort. The poor man, Lazarus, realizes his utter lack. 
His utter need. He cannot do for himself and is dependent on the provision of another. He longs to eat the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. Lazarus understands exactly what the prodigal son understood. When he found himself having spent all of what he earned or all of what he received from his father's inheritance early, and he finds himself in the pen with the pigs that he's caring for, and he's looking at the slop that they are eating, and he comes to himself and he says, I want, I want to eat what they eat. And he realizes, wait a minute. I have nothing. And he goes back to his father in absolute need and gives up self-reliance. We will not be blessed if we do not recognize our spiritual poverty and bankruptcy before the Lord by renouncing reliance on ourselves and receiving reliance on Christ alone. Second, we must renounce self-righteousness and receive Christ's righteousness. Being poor in spirit means renouncing self-righteousness and receiving Christ's righteousness. Jesus tells another story in Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice, twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I would encourage you to read today the Sermon on the Mount. We've already read the first three verses, and I would just encourage you to continue all through chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. It'll just take you a few minutes, but as you read, if you're honest and truthful with yourself, you will realize that you have nothing in terms of righteousness before God. Hear Jesus say in Matthew 5, verse 20, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And recognize that you have no righteousness. In fact, the, even the best people among these first century uh, Jewish people, the scribes and the Pharisees, did not have a righteousness good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we certainly don't. And so what's the answer? Well, the answer is to look back just a few verses at Matthew 5, 17. 
And I think this one verse is the key that unlocks the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, including the Beatitudes. And what does Jesus say there? He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. This is the theme of the whole Sermon on the Mount. This is the theme of Jesus' life and ministry. This is the theme of the gospel. Jesus did not come to abolish God's law. He came to fulfill it. He came to do for those who had broken God's law what they could not do for themselves. The good news of the gospel is that in Jesus who is fully human like us, and yet not like us because he is also fully God, came into the world to fully obey the righteous requirement of God's law. And he did this every day of his life, always saying no to temptation and sin, and always saying yes to the will of his Father, always delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night, always doing what was required by the law so that his righteous record could be given to those who had violated at at every point, you and me. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to live for us and that his righteousness can be ours. But there's even more good news. And that is that in the fullness of time, when Jesus had satisfied the righteous requirement of God's law, he went to a cross. And on that cross, he paid the penalty that we deserved. That our sin was imputed to him. That he exchanged our sin for his righteousness. The Bible says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And there's even better news. Yes, Jesus died for our sins, but on the third day he rose again from the dead, vindicating his righteousness and winning his victory over sin and over Satan and over death forever. This is a victory that we get to participate in if we are poor in spirit by renouncing self-righteousness, this idea that we can achieve before God what he demands and embrace instead Christ's righteousness given to us freely by love and grace. Jesus provides a righteousness that we cannot achieve. We can only receive by faith. And we can only say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Being poor in spirit means renouncing self-righteousness so that we can receive Christ's righteousness. Being poor in spirit means renouncing self-reliance so that we receive Christ's reliance. And lastly, being poor in spirit means we must renounce self-rule and receive Christ's rule. And we insist on the right to rule over ourselves and over our lives, but 
even though this is held out to us as the blessed life, it is actually an impoverished life. Self-rule leads to an impoverished life. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who renounce self-rule, for theirs is not the kingdom of this world and all it has to offer, but far more beautiful and far better, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. John Stott says the blessing promised in this beatitude is the gloriously comprehensive blessing of God's rule. Tasted now and consummated later, including the inheritance of both earth and heaven. Comfort, satisfaction, mercy, and the vision and sonship of God himself. If you choose to rule yourself, and you can. You will enjoy only what you can get, only what you can gather, only what you can choose to do in the limited amount of time that you will be in this world, and all of it will pass through your fingers like dust. But if you receive the rule of Christ, you will receive Christ's who is the treasure and everything else in him for eternity. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Blessed are those who renounce self-reliance. And receive Christ's reliance. Blessed are those who renounce self-righteousness and receive Christ's righteousness. Blessed are those who renounce self-rule and receive Christ's rule. As I've said many times, the hymns of the faith that I grew up with really help me remember the truth of the gospel and the promises of God. And they help me in my personal worship as well as our gathered worship together. But there's one that I think expresses powerfully this idea of being poor in spirit, of renouncing self, of emptying of self that we might be filled with Christ. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed Be of sin, the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. While I I draw this fleeting breath, When mine eyelids close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself 
in thee. As was the message of Psalm 1, so is the message of Beatitude 1. Run to Jesus. Renounce self-reliance, self-righteousness, and self-rule. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these powerful, counterintuitive words. Forgive us for being so full of ourselves, for seeking to be reliant on ourselves, to find some righteousness that will merit favor before God, for trying to rule our own lives. We recognize that you are our king and we invite you to rule. We realize and recognize that we have no righteousness of our own. And we look to you in faith because if we are to have any righteousness at all, it must be yours. And Lord, we renounce our self-reliance. So much of our lives, so many of our choices, so much of what we do is, I can do it myself. But Lord, we recognize in this moment, we, we can do nothing apart from you. And we look to you to give us grace, Lord, that we might repent and that we might receive the gift and the blessing of reliance on you. Make us poor in spirit. Lord, do whatever it takes to make us poor in spirit, even if it means making us materially poor. Make us poor in spirit. We ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen.